afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Rob Port here on WDAY, 701-293-9000, We got uh, some news. Governor Jack Dalrymple today leading uh, meeting with tri- tribal leadership. Uh, Chairman David Archambault, five other members of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to be joined by Scott Davis. He is the... Uh, a member of Governor Dalrymple's cabinet. He will be a member of Governor-elect uh, Burgum's cabinet when uh, the governor takes uh, new governor takes over later this week. Uh, I'll be talking with him in just a moment. Uh, Scott is uh, the commissioner for Indian Affairs in the state of North Dakota. He's also a member of the Standing Rock Tribe. Uh, so we'll talk with him in just a moment. Uh, also coming up a little bit later in the program, I, I want to say a thing or two about this, this Belfouche pipeline. Because uh, happening, uh, the, the the leak there, and it's a significant leak. It happening in the context of the Dakota Access Pipeline protests had a, has a lot of people, you know, sort of crowing. We told you so. This is what pipelines do. Um, it, it's being turned into a talking point for for the people that don't want us to pump oil and don't want to build pipelines. And I have some things to say about that. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the program. My thesis, my key point, is going to be that it's silly to blame an entire industry for the actions of one company, right? I mean, we don't, if if a plane crashes, we don't talk about banning air travel. If an automaker recalls a car, we don't talk about closing down the highways. So if one company has a leak, we don't talk about shutting down all pipelines, you know, it's it's absurd, but yet that's where we're at on the pipeline debate, and I think it's unfortunate. So we'll talk about that a little bit later in the program, plus your phone calls, 701-293-9000, Now, on with me right now, Mr. Scott Davis. Scott, how are you? Hey, good afternoon, Rob. Doing well. Glad to have you on. Um, meeting yesterday, uh, yeah, yesterday, wasn't it, with uh, Governor Jack Dalrymple, uh, Chairman Archambault, uh, five members of the tribal council, also some state officials, including yourself. Uh, it's it's been such a rancorous topic the last several months. Tell us, Scott, how did the meeting go? Well, first, you know, it went really really well, Rob. I'll say that uh, honestly, it went very well. Um, I think it was very constructive. Um, you know, obviously, it was a, it was a first baby step in uh, renewing our. Um, our relationships with, uh, with with the tribe, my tribe, uh, and the governor and uh, Chairman Shamble had uh, had a good discussion, and uh, a few of us weighed in with some questions and so forth, and next steps and so forth. But uh, it was a good start. Well, one thing that I I saw of, of note coming out of it was that Chairman Archibald was talking about how the camps may be closed or or may. Um, May, may be empty by January 1st. First of all, there, there's multiple camps down there. I mean, is he talking about all of the camps or just one of the, the you know, the, obviously the, uh, oh, I, I, uh, the, the camp, uh, there's one camp in particular, but I, I expand on that a little bit. I mean, what, what did he mean by that? Is he talking about all the camps being empty? Well, I think the, the big message that uh, I think was clear from him, and, and, and we're glad he said it, was, uh, you know, uh, it's time to go home now. And I think that uh, is on par with uh, what the Fed said, you know, weeks ago. Uh, what uh, my boss, uh, Governor, said, and and uh, and now from him. And um, I think he's uh, done his done their due diligence, I, I guess. You know, uh, through the court systems, through the administration, on 
getting uh, you know the the easement uh, um, stop for for now. Um, but I think uh, again from a safety standpoint, which I think is most important at this time right now with our winter weather, is um, uh, his statement of uh, going home. And I think that's that's a good thing. So I think what we've we've uh, shared a little bit on the on the numbers last night. <clears throat> I think we're kind of most in agreement that there was about 300 or so um, um, uh, camps left, or excuse me, uh, tents and so forth uh, that were left in, in the uh, are remaining in, in the camp uh, today. Uh, we hope that remains, and we hope that. Um, that uh, goes down in the weeks because, again, uh, the, the weather is here and uh, it's here to stay for a long time, and uh, and we just want people to be safe, you know, and the uh, safest place at this time is, is home. And when you say 300 tents left, which camp are you talking about? The entire camp. Okay, but but was it there like, like with Rosebud and then there's also the Sacred Stone camp that's down on the reservation? Are, are you talking about those as well? We didn't get into the uh, you know the the nuts and bolts of each camp. It was just okay. more of a broad a broad uh, picture of, of the camp itself. Okay, okay. Uh, one thing that's been interesting because because obviously Chairman Archambault has said it's time to go. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers set you know a date of se- se- uh, December fifth, which is come and gone, uh, to to be off the the you know the the, the uh, core land. Obviously, <laughs> Governor Dalrymple issued a, an evacuation order. Uh, which which I believe is still in effect, um, but but yet we still have some, and I would note notably former Democratic uh, U.S. House candidate Chase Ironeyes is you know continuing on social media to tell people to to stay in the camps and that the tribe does not necessarily have the authority to to tell people to to leave the camps. Did that come up during the discussion at all, or, or where where is that situation in all this? No, that wasn't discussed at all last night, Rob. Um, you know, but uh, I guess it is unfortunate to to hear you know folks saying um, those type of things uh, going against uh, uh, the chairman's wishes and um, the federal wishes and obviously my boss's wishes to to stay there. I just don't see the point, you know, of of why why stay there. Um, so that's unfortunate to hear those things, and I hope uh, those folks will reconsider that. And um, and uh, think about their safety and well-being uh, for uh, for the winter months. <clears throat> Do you feel like I mean, is this going to be an ongoing process? Are we going to have more meetings between uh, the governor and, and and the chairman? I mean, did that come up where where maybe this is going to be an ongoing dialogue and, and more meetings as as this process unfolds? Well, you know, it, we hope so. You know. Again, last night was a baby step, um, yeah. and probably the 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 whole uh, discussion centered around the around the bridge. And of course, the bridge is is a vital uh, artery to to my tribe and uh, for emergencies, for ambulances, for uh, our our casino, and for workers that travel to and from um, for work. You know that live in Bismarck and, and Fort Yates and so forth. Um, but there's a process to that. Uh, and first, uh, the first step we talked about was getting that bridge tested, and that's and that was the the big big point we discussed in length last night. And uh, from an engineering standpoint, from DOT, there are processes to to assess and to looking at that that bridge and getting it tested. And um, um, you know, it, it might take a while because we have to uh, do some coring on that bridge uh, to test it. Um, and to look at the structural um, um, 
strengths uh, of the of the uh, of the bridge. Uh, it is an older bridge. Back in the '60s, it was built, so it's built a little bit differently than most of our bridges here in North Dakota. And so it's going to require a little bit uh, more of expertise in uh, trying to test our bridge. Um, it also requires water uh, to bore uh, these type of things. And I'm, again, I'm no I'm no engineer by no by by no means, but um, you know, I sure learned a lot last night from uh, from uh, Mr. Levi. Uh, but it's going to take water, and of course, uh, we need uh, good temperatures uh, weather-wise to to do that. Uh, but the good thing we, we we took away from that discussion is that the tribe has indicated their and chairman, council, indicated their willingness to help us with that, uh, because we can't do this alone and in, in getting a, a day or two or however long it's going to take to to test this bridge. But um, but they are going to make a call to uh, BIA, uh, Bureau of Indian Affairs, uh, law enforcement, to give us some assistance. And we, we hope BIA will, will cooperate with us on trying to get a, uh, a, um, uh, some, um, some assurance uh, that we can get our people down there, our folks down there, and get this thing tested. And, and hopefully get that bridge back open. I, I mean, I, I think so many people are looking forward to finding a a renewed sense of of comedy and and peace and and uh in 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 a you know a diplomatic relationship between you know the the tribe and the surrounding communities and the state of North Dakota obviously we have a new president coming in and that new president has you know talked about how he supports the pipeline and how he you know he he intends to act on it fairly quickly was there any discussion about what happens if President-elect Trump comes into office and, and gives the go-ahead to continue construction on the pipeline and to finish the pipeline, and the protesters come back in. Was there any discussion about how the tribe and the state are, is going to handle that? No, we didn't We didn't talk in, in, in depth about that, but um, I think it's safe to say that we, we there's still unknowns that are out of our hands, out of the tribal hands, out of, um, out of our hands as well. Uh, so in the meantime, we need to continue to communicate uh, we need to uh, uh, meet when we can. Um, you know, in these meetings last night, too, Rob. It's uh, you know, it's it, it's so uh, busy trying to uh, get the chairman's time and uh, let alone yeah. the governor's time to to meet on these things. And it took us a couple times to uh, to get our meeting uh, uh, together last night. Um, everybody is so busy, but um, you know, those, those discussions I'm sure will come up. You know, as we get closer to the the uh, transition of the new administration, and um, and we'll have to go from there. But I think the it's a disimperative that we we uh, continue to communicate in the meantime. Yeah, and, and obviously, you know that that shouldn't be forgotten is that we do have a new governor coming in, um, mm-hmm. and, and Governor Dalrymple is is on his way out, ending ending his term. And later this week, uh, Governor Burgum will be Governor Elect Burgum will become the governor, and and you will continue to, to serve in his administration. Congratulations on that. Uh, Scott, thank and, and thank you so much for thank your you. time today. Certainly appreciate it. Thank you, Rob. That's Scott Davis, uh, North Dakota uh, Commissioner for Indian Affairs. More to come straight ahead, 701-293-9000, We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. 
Rob Report here on WDAY, 701-293-9000, Slowly, slowly, we're getting progress on this um, on this pipeline situation. Uh, the thing I worry about, though, because I think what's going to happen, I think, I think President-elect Trump's going to come into office. He is going to announce uh, that they're reversing the Obama administration's decision on the pipeline. They're going to give the pipeline company the go-ahead to go forward. Um, I would guess there's going to be some legal wrangling about that. You know, I, I think the tribes and, and the others are going to rush to court to try to get things stopped. Uh, meanwhile, the pipeline company is going to rush to get this thing finished. Um, but perhaps most noteworthy for our state for this situation is that that's likely going to bring a lot of protesters back to the state. A lot of these people that have left are probably going to come back and and try to start up what they were already doing. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's that's a that's a not a great situation. And I guess what I would like to hear is is what are we what are we doing to be prepared for that? You know, what what are we doing to be prepared for? Uh, you know, the protesters to come rushing back in in that situation. You know, what's what's the tribe doing? to be prepared for that because i think that's one thing we're learning right now is that chairman archambault and the tribal councils not you know can't necessarily just control the situation down there right i mean it's i i think a lot of us would like to think that it's a it's a situation where the governor and and the tribal council and and chairman archambault and the state of north dakota everybody could get together and sit around a table and come up with some maybe not necessarily agree on the pipeline but at least maybe come up with some uh you know, come up with, with some, some common ground, some room for agreement. And I guess my question is, is what's going to happen if all these protesters come back? Because, you know, they've showed that they're not willing to necessarily listen to the tribe and they're not willing to necessarily listen to uh, the tribal leadership. So what then? You know, I, I, the last thing I think our state needs is a repeat of what has gone down over the last several weeks and months. Um, that's the last thing we need. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. I, I hope we can continue to make progress, and I hope we can continue to find common ground after all this. It's been so hard. It's been so difficult. Um, you know, and there's so many, you know, very extreme points of view on this, uh, not the least of which is, which is the idea that we should never build pipelines, which is ridiculous. Let's uh, let's see. We got a caller on the line here, Craig. Craig, what's up? Yeah, Rob. I found one thing very troubling. What your guest said. Every indication is the Trump train is coming, and he wants it in the pipeline, unlike Burlington Northern and the protesters that seem fine that it goes on the rails. My point here is, they said that they're all busy to get together. It took some time. Let's see. North Dakota spent seventeen million dollars so far. Uh, Chairman Archibald claims he's interested and concerned about the people getting uh, intense in the middle of winter. What's busy? Busy? No. Drop everything. Get together. Yeah. I don't find anybody's too busy under those circumstances to get together. It's think, a lame excuse. I think that's fair. I don't. I mean, I'm wondering what what in the world is Governor Dalrymple, what in the world does Chairman Archibald have to do right now in December, other than deal with this situation? 
uh, that's been ongoing where we still to this day have hundreds of people in tents out in the middle of the cold on land uh, the Corps wants them off of, that the state of North Dakota wants them off of. This should be priority number one for crying out loud. So Absolutely. It's, all, it's either a throwaway comment or a lame excuse, but whatever it is, it, it doesn't stand yeah. uh, like everybody's really interested in solving this. Like I said, they're just waiting for the Trump train to come, and they're going to get it. I think you're right. I think when when Trump comes in, the pipeline's going to move ahead. Um, So, all right. Thanks for the call, Craig. Appreciate it. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Let's talk about this other pipeline leak, the Belfouche pipeline, uh, about 150 miles west of the Dakota Access protest. People are starting to use that as a talking point against pipelines. Generally, they're wrong. We'll talk about that in a moment. Don't go away. Report WDAY 701-293-9000-888-970-9329 is a toll-free number. Email talk at WDAY.com. You know, it's not great timing that the Belfouche pipeline dumped 176,000 gallons of oil into Ash Cooley Creek in western North Dakota. Uh, it's never a good time for an oil spill. It's particularly not a good time for the oil and pipeline industry when it happens while the nation, while really the world's attention is focused on North Dakota because of the Dakota Access Pipeline protests. But let me ask you an important, because I think it's very funny how we talk about this situation versus other industries, right? Um, when a plane crashes... Right. Nobody talks about banning air travel. Right. When an automaker recalls a car because it's dangerous to travel on the roads or there's something wrong with it or whatever. We don't talk about shutting down the highways. Right. When there's a food recall. Right. When something goes out because of the food's contaminated or something. Uh, you know, what was it? What was it? Spinach or something several years ago, right? There was a big problem with contaminated spinach or something that was coming. Tons we don't and talk- tons of it. Yeah, yeah. We don't we don't talk about, like, you know, banning spinach. So it's interesting to me that when a pipeline leaks, the reaction is, well, let's stop building pipelines or let's stop drilling for oil. It's 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 really an absurd reaction but I, I think it goes to something, and, and it's not, in some ways, the industry is to blame. In some ways, regulators are to blame. But mostly, I, 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 think, I think the activists have done a very good job of treating, a good job for, for their purposes, of, of treating the oil industry, treating the pipeline industry 
monolithically, right? As in, it's all just one giant thing, right? And we, we talk it when people are complaining about gas prices, you talk about big oil, right? I mean, that's, it's just how everybody talks about the industry. It's how everybody thinks about the industry. And so what doesn't get recognized is that within the industry itself is a lot of different independent companies and even even different sub-industries, right? I mean, the pipeline industry is really kind of separate. The pipeline industry is a different industry really than the oil industry, right? I mean, the pipeline industry is a transport industry, right? They're a takeaway. I mean, they're, they're taking the oil and bringing it to market. And that way, they're almost kind of like the railroads, right? We wouldn't consider the railroads to be part of the oil industry. So why do we consider the pipeline industry to be part of the oil and gas industry? I mean, they're, they're, yeah, they're related, but they're not necessarily the same thing. Anyway, I'm getting off my point. My, my point is that this company whose pipeline spilled 176,000 gallons of oil into Ash Cooley Creek, and it went down five miles. This company has a truly pretty horrendous track record for these sorts of situations. The company is owned, it's, they're owned by a company called True, um, which operates under a number of different names, the Belfouche Pipeline Company, Bridger Pipeline, Black Hills Trucking, the Butte Pipeline Company. They've got they've got all sorts of different companies that they operate under to do trucking, pipeline. They do oil drilling. They do a little bit of everything. But it's all operated under True, T-R-U-E, True Company. So since 2006, this company in the United States at their various projects or whatever have spilled over 300 thousand gallons of oil in 30 different incidents and that's not counting this this most recent incident in north dakota alone true and its subsidiaries have been involved in 50 environmental incidents since 2006 including 200,000 gallons of spilled oil and and again those numbers don't include the 176,000 plus gallons of oil spilled from the Bel- belfouche line by the way it was, it was bridger pipeline again a subsidiary of true that was involved in an infamous spill of 63,000 gallons of oil into the Yellowstone River in Montana back in January of last year, January 2015. By the way, just two months before that spill, which is brought up a lot by anti-pipeline activists, the Federal Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration had issued a warning letter to the company over lax maintenance and inspection activities. And this is from a Casper Star Tribune, newspaper out of Wyoming, They reported that between 2006 and 2013, Bridger, part of True Company, averaged a rate of incidents per mile of its pipelines that was double the industry standard, double the industry average. Nor is it just True's pipelines divisions that are the problem, by the way. Black Hills Trucking, which is also a subsidiary of this company, uh, was accused of illegally dumping saltwater waste from oil drilling on a road in western North Dakota. North Dakota's Industrial Commission, our Industrial Commission, is currently pursuing a $950,000 fine against the company. Uh, I believe that's being uh, fought over in the courts right now. Uh, Back in 2011, the Dakota Gasification Company alerted the North Dakota Public Service Commission to slipshod construction practices by Bridger, which resulted in damage to a gas line near an oil pipeline Bridger was building. So the problem is this company, 
right? I mean, this this company again and again has had problems. I mean, going back years, going back more than a decade, they've got problems with leaks. They've got problems with with disregarding the law. They've got problems with not doing inspections. They've got problems with not constructing their their projects, constructing their pipelines appropriately. They've got all sorts of problems. I mean, what I what I just read for you is a little bit of a laundry list. You go to sayanythingblog.com. But it's all out there. I mean, it's in the public record. I mean, it's dozens and dozens of spills and incidents and problems. And so here's the thing. This company is a bad actor, right? This is a company which is giving the oil and pipeline industries a black eye. Now, in some ways, that's great for the environmental movement because they can they can use this example, this this company, and its spills and its problems as a way to paint the entire industry as being problematic. And they get away with it because nobody in the oil industry, nobody in the pipeline industry is willing to turn around and talk about how this company is a problem. Right? So here's the thing. Like, if, if we had an airplane manufacturer that was making crappy airplanes that crashed a lot or that caused problems, we wouldn't talk about the 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 aeronautics industry as a whole we would talk about that company and and so it's interesting to me that we skip over talking about this specific company and instead talk about the pipeline industry as a whole or the oil industry as a whole and don't get me wrong other companies spill oil right uh, other companies have problems i mean that's that's not my point here any human endeavor is going to be imperfect Uh, any company can make a mistake Uh, sometimes there's you know there's natural disasters there's lightning strikes there's, there's things that can cause problems those things happen but what i'm talking about is when you have a company that is just egregiously egregiously a problem that's what we ought to be talking about not trying to do to indict an entire industry 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. We got a caller, Scott. What's up? Hey Rob. Say instead of you know, uh, well, let me back up. Instead of uh, blaming the oil companies and all that for you know this one bad actor, why is the Public Service Commission keeps letting them go on for so long? I mean, that's, that's who a, should really be at blame. Is well, I that's mean, a fair gonna, question. Hey, and I a little pay a little penalty. Yeah. You know, it's not in their best interest to. Uh, well, I, I think I think it's in, I think it's in our state's best interest, right? Because the oil industry is very important to our state. It employs a lot of people. It drives a lot of economic activity. Overall, it's a net plus for our state, right? And so, to protect that industry, I think sometimes what we got to do is get tough with a company like this. You know, every once in a while, we'll get a headline out of the North Dakota Attorney General's office, where where he'll he'll send out a press release and he'll just say. Because such and such company was in, was engaged in fraud in our state or whatever, that they're not allowed to operate in this state anymore. And I'm wondering if, if we shouldn't have a point where if we have a company that you know begins to establish a pattern of ignoring the law, a pattern of doing shoddy construction, a pattern of leaks and, and other problems, that we reach a point where we just say, you know what, you're not allowed to operate here anymore. We're not going to we're not going to permit any of your work. We're not going to let you work here anymore. That's what we got to do. We got to get tough. It seems like we just reward them, though, now. I mean, if you're going to do crappy work and 
we're going to give you a million dollar fine. We'll knock it down ten thousand dollars, and then whatever they got to clean up, they can deduct yeah, see, taxes. Uh, and over, I mean, overall, overall, and and it's it's a confusing. I mean, overall, I think that strategy from the industrial commission works, where they hold the fine back, they make sure the company cleans up. And then they reduced the fine because they did a good job cleaning up. That works with a company that is overall trying to do a good job, right? But when you have a bad actor, they take advantage of it. And I think you've got to go a step beyond that and get tough with them. Thanks for the call, Scott. i got to go to a break. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back, 701-293-9000, You know, North Dakota gets a lot of flack over the way we regulate the oil and gas industry and pipelines and stuff like that. A lot of people say that, that North Dakota is too lax, too forgiving. You know, some, some go to the extreme of saying that North Dakota is in the pocket of these industries. I, and I don't think that's true. I, I think North Dakota likes to err on the side of of doing stuff, right? We like to err on the side of letting commerce happen, letting industry happen, letting the land be used. That's We are a deeply agrarian state based on using the land to make a profit and also protecting the land along the way, and I think that's our goal. And so generally that approach is good until you reach a point where a company repeatedly has problems, right? And, and I think that's that's where you've got to have – that's where you crack down. You don't crack down – on the run-of-the-mill leaks, right? Like a leak. And by the way, a lot of times when these leaks get reported, and we're not talking about this Belfouche one. That was bad. That went into the creek. A lot of these get contained, right? A lot of the, most of the leaks happen in places where the company is prepared for the leaks to happen. They have zero environmental impact. But when you have an incident where you have a, a company that is repeatedly having problems, you know, maybe we should get to a point where we say, you know what, company, you're not allowed to work in North Dakota anymore. If this is how you're going to treat it, if this is how lax you're going to be, if you're going to continue to have these problems, then you're not allowed to work here anymore. That's what I think. 701-293-9000-888-97. I don't know why I'm giving you another. Show's over. Jay Thomas Show coming up next. Remember, you can always catch me here 1 to 2 p.m. right here on WDAY. You can also... uh Read me 24 hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com. More to come straight ahead. Jay Thomas Show. Stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening.